0: To CloudCore podcast brought to you by Nordcloud. Now sit back, relax, tune in, and enjoy. Okay. <laughs> busy day. <laughs>
1: yeah, very busy for some of us. Miko, thank you so much for being here with us today. So maybe let's start with a quick intro from your side.
0: So yeah, my name is Miko Kazanen. I work here at Microsoft as a cloud solution architect, uh, officially in the field of uh, digital and application innovation. So all sort of Azure services that are uh, sort of running on our past platform, uh, things like Azure Functions and mm-hmm. uh, App Service and so on. These are th- these have been my field, but now, uh, sadly and luckily, uh, one of my dear colleagues left the company to uh, pursue a very excellent external opportunity as a as a data lead. So I then raised my hand and said, I, I want to get back into to data and AI. So now I'm actually doing quite a bit of uh, Open AI stuff in 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 together with the sustainability. So in our team, I'm uh, referred as a sustainability champ. So I'm actually having a lot of discussions on the topic with with our partners and looking into what kind of things can we actually build together where there's opportunities and so on. All right. And uh, you are based in? Uh, Espo, uh, close by Helsinki. So capital area of Finland. All right. Perfect.
1: You already mentioned the field of artificial intelligence, but do you believe... The big companies with heavy carbon footprint can make their activities more sustainable by using artificial intelligence
0: yeah yeah definitely of course we're now sort of going through the gold mining phase it's it's a gold rush everybody wants to to try out uh, uh, things like chat GPT and GPT models mm-hmm. in general and 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 then a lot of things have to be built in order to sort of uh, um, actually serve people because the demand is so high but then again when we start using ai we can ask it questions such as how i can make my software more greener there's uh, a lot of good stuff there that it can actually help us with we could give it code and ask it uh could you make this a bit more greener like what, what would you recommend and so on to give us starting points and so on. so yeah definitely there's there's a lot of uh, uh things that are sort of linking in together
1: Mm. okay we spoke about organizations and their approach towards sustainability and artificial intelligence but what about you miko what is your personal point of view on that and how you trying to apply the sustainability to your life
0: so for me personally i think um from personal life and personal perspective of course there's a ton of small things that i can do better and try to do better all the time but i still have to admit (laughs) that i do Enjoy a nice steak uh, once, li- once in a while, and so on. But that's the, that's sort of the point that sustainability isn't about one major change that we have to do. It's about thousands of these model ones that sum up into this big, uh, big impact. Because that's mm-hmm. the same way than this footprint that we're building is also sort of building up. So in a similar manner, we gotta have a view on it and and sort of uh, reflect on it and think what kind of things we can do better personal life of course nutrition is is one of the things that you can really really affect and the amount of water that you consume and so on like uh, um uh, energy of course is is a, is a big thing that sums up into into the carbon footprint that we're building and similar similar things actually work in the in the cloud world as well as an architect like um, how well our uh, software is optimized, Mm. uh, like where do we actually run it, what kind of energy sources are we using and so Mm -hmm. on. So it's about thousand small things that we can do better.
1: So we already spoke about your own personal opinion about sustainability, what you can do for a better life. We spoke about organizations working with AI for sustainability. What about the cloud approach? Many organizations are still a bit afraid to go to the cloud. Do you think sustainability can help them to achieve that in some stage? Can you share more information about that from a Microsoft perspective and what you can do for the partners?
0: So I think um, that that's a good question. I think it would be good to sort of review a little bit of our own sustainability story as a, mm-hmm. as a company. So to give you sort of in a nutshell some years and and. and and, and dates and so on. So we Microsoft started their sustainability dis- story pretty much in 2009 when this first carbon emission reduction goal was set. And uh we as employees for example have had this uh, internal carbon fee in place since 2012, meaning that whenever we do any business activities such as travel and so on, there's always this um internal fee for that travel extra that we put aside so that we can actually make some uh, sustainability uh investments in the future such as uh carbon removal which is a big topic for microsoft um uh water of course in in data center world is is very important because data centers consume uh potable drinkable water uh in order to cool down uh, machines on the on the server side and so so there's all, of course a lot of things that need to happen there by 2025 uh microsoft intends to operate with 100 percent renewable energy 20 wow. which is quite a interesting task because if you look at the data center you have of course you can buy from the grid uh sustainable energy and so on there's arrangements that you can do on that and that's important of course it's the energy Uh, sometimes is even more expensive Uh, if if you have this sort of um, tap-on that Mm -hmm. I want 100% uh, renewable energy. But if we look at the situation like failsafe and so on, there's a power outage or something like that. What usually happens is a diesel generator spins up and that's not 100% uh, renewable energy 24-7. So a lot of uh, technological advancements need to happen in order to achieve that. But then again, from a partner's perspective, the one thing that you can do is actually use Azure or use public cloud. It is not uh, always sort of, it isn't like from the perspective of sustainable software engineering, it is not about your application domain space. It's not about the cloud service provider that you use and so on, because with this data center thing like such as azure is running uh benefits come out of this sheer scale of things that we're actually doing and by migrating from on-premise to azure we have this thing called emissions impact dashboard where you can put in your subscriptions and you can do calculations like if you would be doing a migration from on-prem to to azure uh the best case scenarios is that you can make up to even 98% reductions in your carbon footprint by uh, adopting cloud. And, 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 and so uh, if we think about the, uh, the reduction, so th- the thing is that if you uh, migrate to Azure, that already has a direct impact for you. So it, it will most definitely reduce your carbon footprint quite a bit. And then if we look at the data centers that we have, for example, if you migrate now to uh, Azure Sweden, Sweden has this, um, the Sweden data center has this uh, local deal done together with the Swedish uh, power company Wattenfall that they provide 100% renewable energy from the great 24-7. Uh, from planning perspective where the data centers go, the closer you are to actually, actually sustainable energy source, source such as uh, wind farms or so on, the likelihood of actually getting green energy from the grid grows uh, like a lot. So this kind of planning planning needs to happen quite a bit. And we're building uh, things here in Finland as well data centers and by 2025 operate hundred percent renewable energy. I think that's that's quite quite <laughs> good. That's
1: actually very impressive, it, I might say. Mm.
2: Is there some actions in in Finland similar to to Sweden uh, taken in in here? in the Finnish yeah. data centers.
0: Yeah, there is so, so interesting here in Finland, we have three cities, uh, Espoo, Kirkkonomi and Vihti, which are the locations for, in which this Azure Finland uh, region is being built. So three locations come up as, as one Azure region. And these uh, data centers are built in collaboration with this uh, Finnish energy provider Fortum. And The impact of the data centers is actually quite massive because the residual heat that we get from the data centers get pumped into the district heating system in in Kaunia and Kirkonomi and in Espoo. So it means that 40% of these cities uh, heating need basically comes from Microsoft data centers, 40% of the needed heat. And it's massive. It's 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 an impact to two hundred and fifty thousand people. So us building the data, or Microsoft building the data center impacts two hundred and fifty thousand people by changing their form of heating that they receive in their house into hundred percent renewable energy produced. So that's amazing. And, and annually, it's a uh, four hundred tons of CO two that gets saved. So on a on a uh, national national level here in Finland, the impact is actual on actually on like percentage size of the reduction that Finland has to do is just coming from these three data centers.
2: Are those data centers already carbon negative when they start running?
0: Yeah, it, yeah, they they are going to be these uh hundred percent renewable energy because the because they are just uh starting to to build them and uh, by twenty twenty five. The intention is that all uh, data centers are hundred percent renewable energy.
1: Mm-hmm. So sustainability can refer to many things. We all know that from you know choice of transport to social inclusion. No project, I mean, it's the same. But in order to make those projects happen, I do believe people needs to be more aware about the current situation. Do you believe within your country, Finland, Finnish people, your community? Are they aware about the current situation? Are you pushing further to develop even more of
0: it? Oh, that's that's a that's a politically loaded question because <laughs> we've just had the elections and and, and 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 the new new parties in power are sort of uh, trying to negotiate like what is the strategy going forward? Because so far the uh, Finnish plan has been very ambitious to become really, really like. Um, uh, sort of uh, model citizens here in here in Europe let's say lead by example right yeah yeah definitely but then again whenever you have sustainable discussions and this goes into your work life as well you will always have very pessimistic people pessimists are perfect people to find problems in every solution (laughs) that that's that's sort of the joke so of course, there there are people who are going to say that, yeah, I don't have to because they do this and so on. That's 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 what we're sort of struggling with. But I think we're actually doing quite well here.
1: Mm-hmm. We spoke about the organization, about the cultural change. What really brought you to the topic of sustainability? Was that something that you always wanted to do or that was a lot?
0: Well... <laughs> no. I have to say, a little bit of luck and and managerial decisions. So we have these industry clouds that we all sort of uh, got to choose from and and I lifted my hand with sustainability. I have a little bit of background, so uh, when I was studying uh, computer science at the University of Eastern Finland, uh, I did an internship for the United Nations in Laos in Southeast Asia. And the organization under the UN that I worked with was uh, FAO, Food and Agricultural Organization of the United Nations. And what they were there studying was basically the impact of uh, both environmental and uh, social impact of eating insects and farming insects. In 2009, the work was was sort of uh, being done there about how we could produce more sustainable uh, food source by farming things like crickets and so on because their environmental impact is very low compared to things like beef and so on and it was interesting to see that journey because after i got back from the internship and a couple of years passed one of my colleagues from back then actually became a ceo of this uh, finnish company that was producing basically uh, edible crickets and there was even a, a little bit of phase here in finland where there was crickets in every food <laughs> available there was bread made with crickets and so on and it was crazy
1: i guess this is a perfect option for bodybuilders am i correct
0: yeah yeah it's a good bodybuilding uh, <laughs> source <laughs> source of protein because you have very good proteins and very good fats in it and <laughs> uh, but sadly it,
2: it's been fading away a bit i haven't seen bread with crickets for a while in, in grocery stores.
0: No. Yeah, yeah, that's that's true. But I, I do see restaurants actually serving them. Up. Yes. So There's like a fried crickets with peanuts and so on going on with with a bit of a chili. And I had some visitors coming from US and I went and took them to a burger and offered them as a snack, these crickets, and it t- took them a while to taste. <laughs> of course, because they were so sort of <laughs> it was so mentally a big thing for them to eat insects basically but they tried them and they liked them so yeah i think slowly we're getting there
1: so if you are a partner of microsoft what would be next steps for you really to take the journey into the sustainability
0: so yeah that, that that's a good question so the other sort of i have to answer this this is a twofold thing why i'm in this the other part of course is is me wanting to to, to do better basically. But the other part is that sustainability is actually quite good for business. There are a lot of uh, legislations that are sort of uh, forcing us into uh, report sustainability in a way different level than we've ever had. There's a bit, bunch of uh, business opportunities there together with partners. Uh, so to give you some examples, um, I have this older slide that I present from time to time, and it says there's this, uh, uh, study that the energy optimization opportunity by 2028 would be 60 billion dollars and looking at the past year with the war in europe and the energy price thing and so on what we've sort of gone through i think this number is way bigger now so we need partners uh, to solve sustainability uh, stories to to help work with sustainability strategies towards customers and working with customers because these things are happening so fast and they are they are sort of uh, things that need to be done and have to be done. And for a company to sort of start everything from scratch, trying to understand what is mandatory and and, and what is good for business and so on, for this, we do need a l- lot of uh, partners to, to do basically consulting. And if you look at yourself like a node cloud, You are already working with a lot of uh, customer data, right? You're doing a lot of master data management and so on. You already understand uh, in many customers, like how is the organization form? There are silos here and there. There's data here and there. And the data is key here as well, because the data basically tells the actual sustainability story of how much we have produced something, how much we have consumed something and so on. And we, as a Microsoft, we do have this uh, idea of uh, Microsoft Cloud for sustainability. So the key part here is, of course, Azure. I mentioned this uh, reduction that you can get. You can get hundred percent renewable energy and so on. But there are actually solutions on top of it. The emissions impact dashboard that I mentioned earlier, which is free for anybody to use, you can put in subscriptions and get uh, actual numbers out of it. Is yeah, it's we will
1: we will give the people a look into yeah. it. Yeah.
0: But then there's this thing called uh, Microsoft Sustainability Manager. Uh, ERPs and CRMs are not my favorite topic to discuss, but this is quite amazing sort of uh, ERP type of system. So the idea is that you can integrate all, all sort of data from a customer's uh, uh, data sources into Sustainability Manager and then start tracking the actual uh Uh, consumption of things like water and and carbon dioxide and carbon dioxide equivalent gases and so on. So it's a place where we can actually get all the electricity bills coming in, all the details from the production, from the sensors, from the IoT, like we're producing this much and that much about our, our fleet of cars that our company have, all kind of stuff. They all sort of, in a hub and spoke manner, they go into the hub, which is this sustainability manager. Now the question is who actually does the integration the implementation the consultation helps with the strategy and so on and this is what we're building together with partners this is where you can help so there is a consulting business for even for you to do there sort Mm -hmm. of if you don't want to go into esg strategy planning type of thing you can take a different approach because the, the market share is there to 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 be taken and Partners can definitely work on together. So there are other partners who are better at some things and other partners that are better at something they can work on together in this hub and smoke smoke model.
1: So again, pretty much more or less about building the awareness. And if we take a look at the organizations, we can say that within two years, they will be having more understanding towards how they can be sustainable and how they are sustainable right now. What about the consumers of their products? Are we going to live in the world where in two years' time I will be able to look at my Netflix and see how much carbon footprint did I produce by using their software?
0: Well, <clears throat> the last part is a little bit tricky, but the first part is actually it, ha- it is already happening now. So mm-hmm. to give you an example of a thing that I don't properly understand myself yet, but I have these RFIs, requests for information, is coming in. There's this EU taxonomy for data center operators or something like okay. this. And to give you an example, we've had this discussion with partners on Monday on this topic and saying that basically what I've been saying is that there's this um, uh, uh, EU taxonomy thing in place and it affects like here in Finland, 100 companies this year, 700 companies next year. I believe it might affect you because of your size and so on. And I'm having this just discuss discussion on Monday and they're saying, we've never heard of this and we don't believe it's it's actually uh, uh, necessary for, for us. And on Wednesday, I get a urgent RFI asking very detailed questions. Oh, okay, it, it does affect us. We need to know what is the uh, coolant gas used in Azure data center and, and what is the global warming potential index number of it? Is it under 625 units mm-hmm. and yada, yada. Like on Monday, completely unaware. On Wednesday, they're sending us a RFI because they need to answer this for their customers. So it is absolutely crazy. This this is coming sooner than two years. It's already happening with a lot of companies.
2: Does the sustainability report offers the the, the figures for for all the required uh, uh, numbers which must be reported to to EU?
0: No no oh, right. it, it does not so at the moment sustainability manager itself is reporting so there are these things called scopes of emissions scope one two and three basically this is like our internal business processes how much they produce and then we go all the way in scope three to products that we have built and what is their uh, sort of lifetime impact and so on we we're following these kind of things but for example for this eu uh uh ega taxonomy thing we do have then partner solutions like uh, in italy there is this company called esgo which is which has built basically a, a solution around this whole eu taxonomy thing that i just described so so that's that's sort of how it goes and these things even though we have been preparing for this they come as a surprise and they come very quickly so when we get this kind of RFI, like what is the coolant gas that you use, it does actually affect us as well because we have to find that uh, information for you. <laughs> so, so it's, it's quite,
1: quite... I guess you need to be very agile in the current situation we are facing in uh, Europe, especially uh, with the political changes that we see in each of our countries. With the times that change for all of us, I think this is not the time to keep your TV turned on for 12 hours and not care about what it will do and what kind of an impact it might have actually for our life, right?
0: Especially when the energy is cheap. <clears throat> yeah. Uh, especially then it happens. But that's actually a funny, a funny thing. I've, like I mentioned, the $60 billion en- energy optimization opportunity that, that we have by 2028. Um, I've had discussions with... Uh, with uh, partners and customers where they describe their energy optimization uh, solution that they sell. And I had this discussion with with uh, with one partner slash customer in this case, uh, about their solution. And they were saying that uh, this is amazing solution, because it sort of optimizes when you're actually consuming energy. So you you sort of align your production to the energy prices. And so the production of your uh, goods become cheaper by utilizing this solution. And when we had this sustainable discussion with them, they didn't realize uh, until that, in that meeting, that they also have a sustainable dissolution in their hand because the cheaper the energy is on the grid, the greener it is. Because the cheaper the energy in the grid is, that's when, when it's the windiest and so on. That's when we have sort of uh, overproduction of, of energy and uh, luckily that overproduction comes uh, from from green energy sources. So it's it's fun to have these kind of dis- discussions because they then they have a realization that they, hold on we have a completely different angle also for this solution. It's not only about saving money, it's about actually saving nature.
1: I remember our first conversation when we got in touch regarding Xbox and the newest updates. That has to do something with the software engineering and being more sustainable if it comes to writing the code itself. Um, could you be able to share more about that with our audience?
0: yeah, i'm i'm I'm, I'm catching you here. so so um, it's actually the topic is is one of my favorite topics. It's about green coding and uh, sustainable software engineering. To give you a brief uh, explanation of what of what they are in in green coding, we're usually talking about, what kind of algorithms we're using when we're building our applications because we have gone through at the university in ces we have gone through all notations and how much uh, time and uh, memory and algorithm requires and we have been sort of comparing them from that angle but how about from sustainability angle uh there's this very interesting research done by portuguese universities on the differences between um uh, so they have 10 algorithms that they're sort of comparing with all sort of different kind of programming languages. And they're comparing the uh, time, memory, and energy com- consumption differences between these languages. So if we take green coding as a, as a, as a topic, uh, we might be looking into a project on where we might select a different programming language because it might have a smaller impact. Uh, Another example from green coding perspective is that if we're building a um, system where two systems talk to each other, there's an integration going on, messages flying back and forth, a lot of uh, network traffic and so on. When we take in the green coding in in perspective, if we would be sending one byte of, of data and the format that we're using would be XML, there would be around 35 uh, overhead characters flying with that one byte of uh, of data that we're transferring. If we want to become a little bit more greener and we nowadays developers, we love JSON or have have been loving JSON since we've had uh, traumatic experiences with XML, well, no. Let's not go there. But uh, if it's we switch, to- honestly, it's true. <laughs> it's true. It's true. Let's let's be, let's be honest. If we switch to JSON, we're sending one character for data and around 18 characters of overhead data. So we're actually making a big improvement there. If we consider that we're sending millions and millions and millions of messages throughout the day. If you want to take it further down, and we know that a human is not reading those me- messages in between. If we switch to the most <laughs> unattractive option of these three, I would say we switch to a CSV file. We have one character of data and we have one character of overhead, a delimiter basically there. So we we have 35, 18 and one character. So there's quite a bit of difference there, right? It's 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 crazy. It is, uh, it is. I, and and from the Xbox perspective, um, then let's consider the value. So the Purpose of the software development team is to deliver value to the end user in the form of the application. We already assess our DevOps process uh, from value stream mapping. We consider testing and and these kind of things waste, and the actual coding is is the value producing work and so on. But here, the Xbox example is basically so that uh, the Xbox team Sorry, <laughs> kids screaming and phone ringing at the same time. <laughs> okay. So the uh, Xbox example is, is interesting one. So in terms of green coding, a investment was made uh, so that let's waste a little bit of uh, development time on delivering a new feature for the for the end user. Let's develop a new energy saving feature going from around 15 watts or something to less than 2 watts. So, the 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 value sort of uh, for the end user here is, of course, uh, bringing more sustainability for the end user because they're consuming in idle wattage. They're consuming way less. If you're dropping from fifteen to something like uh, less than two watts uh, per hour, then that's a major impact. Uh, What's sort of eating away from the value from the user is the increased uh, spin-up time. When you cold boot your console, you might take uh, 40 seconds, 50 seconds for it to spin up and so on. So the question is, is it taking uh, any value off uh, from the user if they have to wait 40 seconds? But it has globally that massive impact because we consider how many Xboxes are there around the world. So it was a good investment basically to do. But it's it's, it's also not about only the consumer. So we as game developers, if we're developing games, uh, we have the sin of using all the possible computation power that we have. And we are always pushing things to the limit in order in, in, into the point that users have to upgrade their hardware. We're building something on the server side. We're building more and more features there. We have to actually assess the value that we're actually producing if we are going to push anybody to upgrade their hardware because of this. So my question to you is basically uh, every year you get nicer and nicer looking video games, right? Every year there's a new graphic card there tangling above your head like go and purchase me and it consumes more energy. But the question is about value are you having fun more fun this year than you had last year or are you having more fun this year than 10 years ago because at least for me games have always been fun yes and i wanted to point this out (laughs) it doesn't matter if
1: i had a one dot on my screen that was just moving basically or i have a real let's say Using Unreal Engine Five newest version game that looks awesome. The experience is the same. I think it's more or less about the people and just enjoying the time of playing those games.
0: Yeah, it's the it's the value. It's it's definitely value. And the same thing on the Netflix side. You're mentioning there, like, mm. what I, as a consumer, I would want to know the number of how much I'm consuming by exactly. using Netflix. There's some calculations, and this actually goes into this uh, sustainable software engineering part. So. If green coding was about the code and algorithms and this kind of stuff that we as developers do, then sustainable software engineering is more about what we as architects decide to do. So let's take the Netflix perspective here and the value that we were discussing. So there's some studies uh, done in 2009 that it consumes three point, uh, sorry 2.35 kilowatt hours, and that generally is 1.2 kilos of CO2 produced per one gigabyte of data transferred in the network globally. And it's double when it's over mobile networks. So now you're driving your fancy electric car and your kid is watching Pe- Peppa Pig on the back seat on, on, on a phone on a Netflix. Which one is consuming more energy when you take the trip to your grandparents? <laughs> yeah. No, but I, I'm, I'm sort of joking here. So now... From the developer perspective, from the value perspective, Netflix uh, offers you a reduced quality because you're watching it on a mobile device, so you don't need to push 1080p def- or or 4K into mobile phone, right? And and that's sort of uh, from the green coding side, like uh, okay, let's plan this application so that mm. we use this encoding that uh, packages things tight tightly and so on to reduce the network. Uh, network uh, oh, or the mass that moves over the network yeah, yeah and now the architect has a different thing that they need to sort of uh do i mentioned not one optimization but thousands so uh from architect's per- perspective let's utilize this amazing technology called cdn let's deliver the content from the closest node to the user so that we reduce the length that the uh, data has to travel over the network that has an impact uh let's use things like cache in order to reduce recomputing things over and over again so somebody asked the same question 10 minutes ago it probably hasn't changed so let's uh reply from the cache good that
1: you mentioned the cdn and for the audience that doesn't know the shortcut it stands for content delivery network and i think it's also nice for people to know what really does it for them uh miko if you can give them like two sentences really how the CDN can help.
0: Yeah, so, so CDN basically, if we are building, a, let's say a website, and we have a lot of images on the website, and let's say we have selected the location of Azure Sweden for it, but we have users in South America or America and so on. The heavy load that we would be uh, moving over the network is actually all the images and videos and these kind of stuff. So by utilizing CDN, uh, we have these nodes around the world where we actually sort of one time replicate the content that we have on the main page, the images, the videos, and so on to bring them closer to the end user. And, and with that, bringing the content, content delivery network, uh, bringing the content closer to the user, we then have the impact of actually having a better experience because we mm-hmm. have uh, lower load times, uh, and and also we have the reduction in the in the network.
1: And I do remember back in the day when I used to work for Microsoft, we had a pretty good offering together with Akamai and Verizon as uh, CDN providers. Is it still ongoing on, or uh, Microsoft goes ahead with their own unique CDN?
0: Yeah, but still, also those partner net- networks are uh, in a lot of uh, solutions available, and it, and it, and. And that's also the the big thing. It's not really about, so when we're talking about uh, principles of sustainable software engineering, we have these eight principles and a very good quick course that sort of goes through all these. We can go through them also here a little bit, but it's like I mentioned, it's not about the application domain. It's not about the uh, uh, cloud service provider uh, and and, and so on. Uh, So just the idea of, Let's build an architecture where we utilize microservices, where you utilize caches, CDNs, and so on. Those are important. And this microservice thing, serverless, I haven't mentioned, but um, our sellers definitely like like to sell you uh, reserved instances, right? Virtual machines. Of course. Yeah, because we we can we can make a deal for a year or three years, and then it's uh, easy going for the sellers, right? Definitely. But. but the problem with anything like virtual machine related, of course, there are machines that are more energy optimized than others and so on. You can do a selection there. But if we build something like a serverless architecture, uh, what is happening is that we're not uh, utilizing idle time of the CPU. So a CPU has a, let's say, idle wattage of 120 watts per an hour or something like that. If we ramp it up to 100%, like completely use all the capacity available available from the CPU, we might be using something like 180 watts. So your idle, no load, 120, your high, 100%, 180. So now you're sort of responsible of making sure that your application runs at the top end if you want to be mm-hmm. as sustainable as possible. But utilizing things like serverless, we are... Taking chunks out of this bigger cluster, so that we're sort of uh, outsourcing the problem, so that Microsoft in in their Azure data center uh, handles that load. So so when people use that, there's a there's a sort of a collective benefit, so that we don't have uh, machines running at uh, at a half half load basically. In Azure, there's uh, tools for you that you can utilize. So there's uh, Azure Advisor and Cost Management. Take a look at those. If you see any recommendations there, you see any uh, unused resources or over-provisioning and so on, save money and save energy. When you save money on Azure, you save energy. And um, hey, we have Markus here, who is the app innovation guy on your side, so, exactly. so <laughs> bother him and say, I want to save the world. Please build me an app innovation architecture. <laughs> I think yeah. I need to
1: uh, have a separate session with Markus about that for sure.
2: <laughs> yeah, and the, the, this, this whole topic is, it, is it interesting. I mean, the uh, kind, kind of green coding or green software architecture, it's, it sounds, at least to me, it sounds, it's basically the the how modern softwares or applications are built. So basically if you're using uh, serverless uh, tools, uh, products from Azure, if you are designing your software in a way that it's fast, responsive and so on, then it's already green.
0: There are best practices. So there's uh, this thing called green software foundation, which is under uh, Linux foundation. Uh, Microsoft was one of the founding partners and uh, companies can join the foundation, but uh, individual developers can uh, sort of sign up uh, saying that I will, uh, to my best, uh, follow these best practices. And they do have like these, they're they're working on these uh, sustainable architectures that you can basically look in. And they are not... like i said they are not dependent on microsoft or abs or Mm. uh, gcp or anything like that they're just general architectures that are uh, considered sustainable Mm. so you can always go in there and take a look at a reference Mm. architecture good yeah you can
2: basically find the pcs from all the cloud providers project natik
1: a research project to determine the visibility of subsea data centers powered by offshore renewable energy any updates regarding this? I think the last news that I heard was in back in 2021. Do you know more about that? Can you share something?
0: Uh, you're talking about submarine data. Sets. Yes. Yes. Uh, so yeah. Um, I, I honestly don't know what's the status of that because it's sort of our research project and it's not something that is uh, commercialized at the moment or anything like that. Uh, so yeah, if, Somebody hasn't heard of it. Basically, we had like a submarine built with the data center inside and just uh, chuck it in, <laughs> into the ocean and let the water do the cooling. But actually, there's a lot of uh, other interesting project, projects going on in a similar manner. So, for example, there's this uh, gas, something like that, that has been developed for the data center use or it's being tested out. And the idea is that there's this uh, gas that uh, stays as a liquid until it reaches 50 Celsius degrees and you can submerge your computers as it is into that liquid because it's not conductive and when the temperature of the hardware rises to 50 Celsius degrees it vaporizes the vapor rises into the ceiling where it cools down and then it rains back down to the to the to the machine and these kind of crazy. Cool stuff And this is exactly the type of stuff that we need from a technological perspective uh, to to become more sustainable. So I didn't really mention the the goals, but by 2030, uh, Microsoft intends to become carbon negative, meaning that we uh, um, capture more CO2 than we produce. Uh, Microsoft becomes zero waste. The data centers the hardware in the data centers have a lifespan of four to eight years or something like that so a lot of hardware from this service are, are sort of left in in the hands so the question is how do you recycle that but the answer is by building circular centers in the data center so that you don't have to ship them across the country or the world uh to be refurbished and 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 scrapped uh, and also by 2030 becoming water well, positive so meaning that the water that we use to cool down the the, the servers, uh, the intention is that Microsoft will purify more water than it actually consumes. And there's already programs in place, uh, such as together with water.org, so that Microsoft already at the moment provides potable drinkable water to communities around the world where there is no source of that kind of uh, luxury so this is this is the 2030 uh, objectives, and by 2050 remove all historic emissions since Microsoft was founded in 1975, meaning that uh, we want to erase Microsoft from the history.
1: <laughs> this is so inspiring, uh, and I think Microsoft is definitely one of those leaders who actually lead as an example. Miko, we are running out of the time. Any other tips and tricks and the last thoughts for our listeners?
0: Thanks. My, my final tip for this is, is uh, for anybody listening is is basically uh, be optimistic, but also be critical. There are a couple of sources that we didn't really have time to go through, but there's this thing called Microsoft Carbon White Paper and also the Microsoft Annual uh, Sustainability Report. They're brutally transparent and, and clear about what kind of issues do we actually see with the, with the field of sustainability. Uh, in 2020, Microsoft bought half of the global uh, carbon removal market and Microsoft received 189 offers out of which only 15 could be selected. Due to the fact that only fifteen had, you know, like a proper receipt of what you are actually purchasing and what is the impact of the carbon removal for how long. So, so look into those. Uh, be critical. Be optimistic. And we definitely need you to build this uh, sustainable future together.
1: What are amazing words for the end of the podcast? Thank you so much, Mika, <laughs> for taking time with us in here together with Marcos. Really appreciate your time and. Guess what? I'll be very happy to have you here again on any other topic. Of course, OpenAI is still on the table, so...
0: Yeah, definitely, we can do OpenAI. <laughs> I have funny stories on that side. Yeah, it's been a prob- hectic couple months, so...
1: <laughs> Probably we will have to record the video as well, because I would be very happy to put some Chat GPT into action and, and, and bring some interesting uh, thoughts and questions towards it, so... Yeah, let's discuss this offline and then see how that goes again. Thank you so much, Miko, for that. Hey, thank you so much. It
0: was a pleasure being here.